Welcome to The Foundry, where leaders are forged daily. Each week, we investigate themes of leadership, entrepreneurship, and mindset with some of the greatest minds in real estate. And now, the data scientist of real estate, George Roberts. Welcome back, entrepreneurs. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing John Totterud, owner of Cardinal Oak Investments. He is a multifamily investor and syndicator who focuses on sourcing, underwriting, sponsoring, and capital raising for deals. He began in real estate during his software and technology career buying multifamily real estate, first smaller properties, focusing on finding vendors to repair, improve, and manage, and then shifting his focus to partnering with other ambitious real estate investors to acquire larger properties. John is now full-time in multifamily real estate. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you, George. Thank you for inviting me. appreciate the opportunity to share a few of my experiences in, in real estate and tech and maybe offer some insights for listeners. Exciting. Well, I think there's a lot in your background that'll resonate with our listeners. Certainly, I am a former bioscientist and award-winning data scientist, so I know we do have a lot of tech people out there. So I don't always do this, but maybe you can tell us your story about your transition from tech to multifamily real estate to becoming a full-time real estate investor. Yeah, yeah, I'll uh, I'll try to give you the Cliff Notes version. It's uh, you know, transitioning from an engineer into engineering related roles, management, consulting and so forth. Uh there's always decent income trying to find the the ticket to uh, financial independence, uh, being able to do what you want to do because you like to do it, not because you have to do it. And I had uh, most of my roles were very enjoyable, fulfilling, and and I had worked with great people all along the line. Um, there comes a time when you do decide that um, I've got to maybe do a different solution. Uh, possibly your IRAs and four hundred one ks are not performing. You're you're not you're not going to get where you want to be at a certain time period, and you try different things. And and I did. I was in that boat. I mean, I had startups, and I had other other uh, you know personal investments. Uh, what resonated for me was being able to control it, not so much buying a mutual fund or an ETF or an individual stock, but just being able to control the, where where I was putting my money. And so I looked into real estate. I looked into single family homes and, and multifamily and big multifamily, little multifamily, where I ultimately landed was, was um, small multifamily projects near my house, properties that needed some work where um, they were basically rentable, but I could put my own um, efforts and energies into it. And that's what I did. I didn't know a lot yeah. about it. I want to stop you there because I think that's yeah, great yeah. advice. And it's not the advice you normally hear. Usually people say like, oh, you know, go out, buy a hundred units or more. But what you did, I think made a lot of sense given your background, right? You're, you're a tech guy. I don't know if you're still an engineer at this point or if you've already launched startups, but you you're busy, right? So you pick things that are close by your home, small things you can take down by yourself and you get the experience to go out and then get the bigger properties. Exactly. Yes. And and that's that's really what I was looking for. I hadn't spent a lot of time uh studying or reading. I read a few books about it, but I 
But, you know, they, they'll always tell you, you just need to take that step to get out there and yeah. do it. And so that's that's what I did. And it, you realize how much you don't know all the things that oh, I've got to figure this out. And I better figure it out in a hurry because I've got, you know, my money on the line. I've, you know, you've got responsibilities to tenants and other people in your life for these properties. And 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 you do. You've got to know that you can do it. You can spend the time and whatever problems you're coming up with, you'll find a solution. Then, you know, you you might find the solution yourself. You might find people who have the solution. And and then discovering networks of people who can help you is um, a wonderful re- revelation and, and key to anybody's success in the real estate industry. Yeah, wonderful. And so then I know that uh, the transition from being full-time in a profession so real estate is something that you talk a lot about. I know you've actually got an ebook. I believe you can get that at your website, Cardinal Oak Investments. If you want to go ahead and, and give that out right now, that, that would be great. But tell us a little bit about the transition. What did you learn and what lessons do you have to teach others who may be thinking about a similar transition? Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly the book is, is there and available, cardinaloak.com. Um, people trying to make the transition, you should talk to people in your area, in your local meetups and networks, join other virtual meetups, learn what you can, but don't spend forever doing it. What was one of the best opportunities for me starting early was going to multifamily conferences, getting on an airplane, flying to some place around across the country for a weekend, and meeting people, talking to people, you sit in the conference and you learn a lot about it. Um, but I, you know, I think the advice of of joining somebody else's deal is not bad advice. Is it it's like, do I want to buy an apartment complex, a hundred units? No, I don't have enough money to put down on that big of a deal. But somebody else does. I can participate in somebody else's deal. I can join and offer my skills and services and talents and time to them. And maybe I only get a small piece of it, but man, it's fantastic experience. For me, I did it a little differently. I just started looking around in my area for small properties and they're all around. They're not cheap. They've never been cheap. What I bought, you know, 13 years ago seems dirt cheap today, but it wasn't cheap then. And <laughs> and so um, you have to look at it and realize that you know it's if it's probably not going to get cheaper, um, you know, without prognosticating about the direction of the real estate market, you've got to take the steps to get into something. Maybe it's two units, three units, four units, but um, that works for most people getting into it, finding the time to take care of it. Um, you'll learn a lot and discover things about what you really want. And you own it for two or three years and sell it and you've got equity. You've got equity you didn't have before. You've done the right thing. And now you can move this equity into a potentially larger property. This is what I did. And um, again, this is just one path that um, was successful for me. And I can strongly recommend it, but it's not the only path. Well, you actually mentioned, I believe, two paths there. So there's the buying the smaller properties near you is, again, I think that's a great way to get over the analysis paralysis. You don't have to wait as long to find that small deal near you. And personally, I found a lot of these deals can be extraordinary cash flow opportunities. I think there's a sort of a gap in the market. I mean, even a fourplex can be way too big for 
people who consider themselves single family investors. It might be way too small for many people who are in multifamily. You also mentioned getting a small piece of a much larger deal. What about being a passive investor? Do you want to talk about the joys of passive investing? Yeah, yes, um, I, I think these are awesome opportunities. And, I, and I, um, it depends on what your personal goals are. If you know you're going to stay busy in your job, whatever that profession might be, teaching, medical profession, healthcare, technology, it's probably a very fulfilling job. You probably don't have a lot of spare time and you want to place for your money to be actively working for you, for you to see decent returns and including some cash flow and asset appreciation when the operators sell the deal, but also tax benefits as well. Um, those are those are great options for you. It's good for you to look around. The, the advice that I would give, if you're thinking of wanting to buy property yourself also at some point, is you need to make sure that the, the operators, the syndicators, the people offering you the deal are going to allow you to see a lot of the details for them to share things along the line. When they send out a monthly report on financial performance, you're looking at it at a really high level. You're not going to learn much from that. You need a phone number and an email address to call on, to be able to talk to them. Why'd this happen? Why'd that happen? If Especially if they're making big decisions about, say, renovations and, and rent the property, the, the, um, Occupancy was 95% when you bought it, but now it's 89%. What happened? Is that intended? Was that part of the plan? And the response might be, yeah, we always intended to bring it down because we're renovating units. We're going to have some vacancy. Yeah. That's part of the plan in the first 12, 18 months or, or whatever. You just need to learn those things and find out why they're doing. You need a person to contact. Um, so so yes, passive investing is is absolutely a learning experience and a financial benefit for you. If you find the right people, make sure they're experienced, make sure they've uh, got a good record of full cycle deals for a number of years. This is not the first year that they've done it. Make sure they're looking at decent property sizes. If it's a 20 or 30 unit, it might not be the best property to invest in passively. Certain size minimums, mean uh, other things. It means that these uh, syndicators are experienced and it means that there's less risk in a property that has that many units, that there's more uh, optimization uh, efficiencies that you can glean by, um, by having a larger property. Yeah, I love that. And so many things there, right? I mean, everybody's going to tell you that not just the deal, but the operator as well, very important. Some people, I think, get excited about their first deal and may skip that. I'm so glad you mentioned education because that's a, one of the main reasons why I'm a passive investor. When I go out and place my funds with a different operator, I've got to trust the operator. I've got to like the returns. I've got to believe the returns. And I'm going to vet that deal just like I was going in and becoming one of the general partner team members. But Finally, usually what gets me off the fence to one investment or another, because there's so many coming through my email box, is what am I going to learn from this? And every operator, if, if they're communicating well, right, they're going to teach you something throughout that process because they're going to hit those speed bumps. And if they're communicating well, they'll tell you how they did that. And you really get to learn some tricks of the trade. You, you're going to get your eyes on more deals 
than you could if you're just out there operating your own deals. And I guess with that, uh, yeah, actually, if you want to add on, please go ahead. Yeah, I, I would say that's a key attribute to look for in any kind of operator is, is how much content are they putting out there? Are they trying to educate investors or are they doing anything more than say, hey, hey, um, sign up for my deal or hey, you need to look at this deal or look at that deal or look how great I've done in my deals. Um, that's important to know. But is the person sincerely interested in, in creating a community and supporting the community? And, and they do this by educational content. It could be videos. It could be posts once in a while. And, and through social media, do they have a newsletter? What's the quality of the content in the newsletter? Is it, is it informative, something that, that, they, that you could use without having to go reach out to them and say, hey, I'd like... Um, I'd like to learn more about this or that. When you feel like you're ready, uh, their contact information is there for you, but they should not be constantly pushing you to book a call. You should be able to- Absolutely, yeah. And if you're not happy with the level of communication before you sign the docs and wire, you're definitely not going to be happy later. So I would definitely ask my questions up front. Make sure you're comfortable with uh, the level of detail you're getting. So uh, one of the things I want to talk about more is is the tech career, and so not only a an engineer, but also uh, you've run some startups, and I think that's really exciting because we like to talk about entrepreneurship here on the Foundry. I'd love to hear about those startup experiences and what that taught you about entrepreneurship. Yeah, it's certainly um my 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 startup experiences are are a little dated, but I think a lot of it is still relevant today. And I um I you know I live in the Seattle area. Seattle is a, a tremendous area for startups. It really has a lot of critical mass uh, because of the technology companies that have already been here. Microsoft was one of the earliest ones. Certainly Boeing preceding that, and a lot of engineering. My background is software engineering. Um, so yeah, I mean, a software engineer for a few years, and then worked for a smaller company, and we made a, a commercial product. And we were selling it, and and I saw an opportunity to start a business of my own. And so I sat down for a few months and, and developed a new software product for one particular industry. And I, I knew some people in the industry, and I went to them, and they became my first customers. And this is at a time when, um, when you were out selling software and delivering software. And not to date myself too much, but it was before the internet became uh, as prominent as it is today. And um, and so along this process, I developed a huge, tremendous, very loyal client base and and wanted to grow the company. And as I and so I reached out and and connected with the local investor community and and people who had these venture funding angel investor groups and made a lot of presentations. But this was at a time when when uh the kind of sexy product that they were looking for was was more internet based and our product wasn't it wasn't at the time and we had not designed it that way my partner and i decided to to make a shift um and you see this in real estate today you have to be flexible you have to be able to read the market and know what's going on and be adaptable and use what skills and talents and training you have to um to change horses or shift a nominal amount when when needed. And that's what we did. Uh, we decided to sell our business, which we were successful in doing. And 
uh, and started another internet-based business. The internet business was geared toward uh, delivering bakery products. And uh, we had some successes, um, but we needed more marketing. And we ultimately were not able to sustain the business. It needed to fold it, but boy, you go through all those exercises at the right. time of, of, learn, of talking to investors and and raising money for it and hiring the right people going around. I mean, the hiring process itself at certain points in time when the, when the industry is, is really strong is difficult. I'm sure it's still difficult today. Low unemployment, it's a hard dire. You see this in real estate also. You want yeah. a good leasing manager, maintenance person, good luck. You're going to pay for them. You need to plan for that in your pay- payroll performance. And um, getting the right person, the right person makes a big difference. And it was no no different back then. You're looking for strong technology people, people with the experience. But I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything and and um and was able to leverage everything I'd done in the past prior to that, all the engineering yeah. management. Yeah, very valuable. And I can see many experiences in there, particularly the ability to pivot, like we were talking about uh, when things go wrong and things always do go wrong. You're going to do all your underwriting. You're going to plan for various contingencies and then reality sets in. And these are great things. So one of the things I think a lot of people skip is truly understanding the business of real estate. So maybe you can, I mean, with someone with so much experience, I think you can really walk us through what are some of the steps that people skip and how do you build a true business out of real estate as opposed to somebody who's out there just executing on transactions, making deals? Uh, yeah, yeah, good question. Um, I would say the most important thing is, especially if you've come from like a technology background or something like that, where you might have been a little introverted, not the tech people are necessarily introverted, but a lot of us have been, you got to yeah. get out of your shell, you got to talk to people, you got to be be reaching out proactively to to talk to people. And that's, that's a fundamental business principle is, is things get done from discussions, not just from emails or online communications. Um, you, you have to do that. You have to be comfortable about reaching out to somebody and connecting with them. That's probably the most important thing. You have to do your homework ahead of time, of course, but, um, and that that applies to, uh, in the real estate world, it's a team sport. I mean, you hear that anywhere, any kind of conference you go to, any people you talk to in a meetup group, it's a team sport. You need other people to support you. Um, it, you could go out and buy a two or three or four unit property on your own, like I did, and you could get by. But if you want to do something more, you've got to get other people involved. Who are those people? How do you know they're good team members? Um, you've got to be able to talk to them. You also need to be able to find the properties. How are you going to find the property? You're going to go to go to uh, LoopNet or Zillow or or something like that to look for your co-star to look for your properties. I you know that those are okay, but they're not great tools to uh, to really find properties. I, I know a lot of successful people who are looking for uh, for sale by owner, and that's not just single family homes. It could be larger, medium to larger multifamily properties, but there's a method to that. Um, otherwise, most of us are going to go through brokers. 
You need the broker relationships. You need to find out who the brokers are. You need to start the conversations up. The first few conversations, you realize that they're not going to know you or trust you or have any reason to believe you can close a deal. And, and so the, those things you have to do over time, you've learned who the brokers are in the market that you want. And this is like getting into other things like um identifying markets and such, but, but it's the conversations, it's reaching out and talking to people and then, and having the, uh, the, the tracking and persistence to call them again after three or four weeks and remind them who you are and reassure them that you're serious and that you can close a deal. It's like, right. Awesome. So this would be a great time. Let's get to know John Todd better. What, tell us about your investment thesis. I know from your bio, uh, a lot of things you're looking for are value add things that are a little worn down. So tell us, how do you spot these deals? Why are these the deals to look for? And why is this producing the best returns for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I, uh, I find them by talk, by having more general conversations with brokers. I'm not too specific with them. A lot of them will ask, well, what cap rate do you want to buy at? And I say, I don't want you to be looking at cap rates. I'll I'll figure out the cap rate part of it, capitalization rate, um, the measure of the uh, the income versus the price of the deal. And I have my own models to figure all that out. I'm more general. I'm looking for properties that are between about 70 and 150 units or so. And there's a price, there's price range in there. Um, as well, but I, I mean, again, I'm I'm kind of general. I, I look for mainly C-class properties. And these, as you know, are properties that um, are dated. They're a little old. I mean, they might may, be 70s or 80s uh, vintage properties, maybe in the 90s, but they are um, they're workforce housing properties. They're not high-end class A. Um, lots of amenities types properties. Those are good too, but they're not really what I look for. I look for properties that meet the needs of workforce, working class people. I look for properties that need work. Um, a lot of properties have been coming to the market the last couple of years that have been fully renovated. The owner bought them a few years prior to that. They went through, renovated all the units, and now it's in great shape. Um, those are nice properties too. They're really not my market either. I want to do the renovations. I, I like older classic units. I um, I like to be able to go in and and spend a few thousand dollars to upgrade a unit, maybe some money on the outside to add curb appeal, make it a better color, like like um, surfacing and striping parking lots, and need to make sure the roof is in good condition so it's not constantly leaking. All that kind of stuff is normal things that you're looking for. Not not something that's um, necessarily disaster ready to fall apart or in a, in a war zone or anything like that it needs to be in a decent area and i look for those um and so i those are the ones that give me the best returns so for returns we always aim to double investors money and we're, we're to project it between th about five years between three and seven years and we will um bring that in if we can uh, we're not going to hold on to investors' money for a long time. We have a renovation plan and getting getting units renovated and units released at a higher rent. And that's all part of our projections. Sometimes we we um, can meet those projections sooner rather than later. And, um, and we'll look to sell a property if the market is right. And, and so we... we um, 
we we definitely want to be able to provide cash flow. Uh, we're not going to buy a property that we can't get cash flow out of or cash flow real soon. Our investors uh, want the cash flow. And again, this is this is um, uh, something that I've developed. This is not necessarily the best for everybody. A lot of people um, really don't want cash flow. They feel like they're going to pay taxes on it, even though there's a tax strategy involved with it also. But they're interested in waiting for the appreciation at the end, getting the capital gain, paying their tax or whatever, and then and then moving on. Um, and that's a great strategy too. Nothing wrong with it. A lot of people um, do extremely well with that. Uh, my model is more to to get cash flow out of it and asset appreciation when we sell. Excellent. Well, this was a great wide-ranging discussion. I want to thank you for taking your time to share your knowledge and experience with our audience. Thank you, George. Appreciate the opportunity.